Hi, my name's Guy Branston. Welcome to Man Marking. And we're asking, where's the talking lad? You only get into, out the game what you put into it, Shelley. Mm-hmm. And I put everything into it I could and still do for the people and for the people that I was playing for and the people that I was manager for. I didn't cheat them out of anything. So I put all my heart and soul to the extent that my family suffered. Do you regret that at all? Oh, yeah, I regret, oh, I regret it very much, yeah. Somebody said the football's a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that. Hello and welcome to Man Marking, episode 25. Today we're speaking to Guy Branston. Uh, yeah, um, brief is something now I'm 41 years of age, far from free. Um, soon to be married. I was supposed to be on my stag do today. Uh, that was obviously cancelled because of the coronavirus. My wedding's been cancelled. Oh, nice. So, uh, yeah, it's been a bit of a disturbing time. But other than that, I'm in good spirits. I've... Uh, been a footballer i've worked on the market i've worked in different jobs i've been head of recruitment at football clubs i've gone into scouting i've gone into recruitment gone into managing football clubs um and if i'm honest i'm you know in a good space right now and, and was looking forward to talking to you guys i am joined by anthony olsen ryan Pulford, as usual chaps how are we anthony you're looking well i'm good mate yeah really happy i had a, had a nice breakfast this morning so ready, ready to, go. to go most ready important meal go. of the day isn't I it know, yeah it is it was a lovely meal as well uh ryan i'm fantastic mate <laughs> <laughs> why, why why am i not convinced um probably because you're looking at me <laughs> true true uh, guy branston on the show today guy branston mm. we'll get on to guy but first, our opening question. And today, we're going to be talking about Eric Dyer. Eric Dyer. He had a great, great week, didn't he? He had an interesting week. Um, left the pitch for a poo. <laughs> yeah, Gary Lineker tweeted saying, oh, it's just not a, modern football's changed, doesn't it? Not doing it on a pitch anymore. Not doing it, yeah. Games, <laughs> that, my game's gone. I thought that was funny. The game has gone. So, what I want to know from you chaps is... Obviously, Eric Dyer had to quickly exit for a, in air quotes, in fact, not even air quotes, just for a shit, wasn't it? It's went mm. for a dump. And uh, when have you ever had to make a swift exit to avoid disappointment? Ryan, I'm going to look over at, at you, my good fellow, and uh, when have you ever had uh, an embarrassing moment you've had to sort of exit quickly from? Um, I, I genuinely don't know. There's definitely been times. <laughs> the closest I've had to sort of the Eric Dyer moment, um, a few years ago in my old job, we were going out um, and used to get changed in like the toilets, but there wasn't many boys' bogs. So we went in the girls' ones because it was after work and no one was in. And then me and my mate went to the toilet and we both went separate cubicles, sort of like giggling because we shouldn't have been in there. <laughs> <laughs> and the cleaner came in, we forgot. And she, she came in and did like this. Is anyone Hello? Here? Yeah, is anyone in here? And like we both just were silent and didn't know what to do. And then she, she said it a few times because she could clearly see that two cubicles were locked. And then she just proceeded to clean. And we were just both silent. But you know when you're holding in a laugh and you're just like mm, biting your cheek. Um, and then, yeah, we quickly ran out as soon as we, the opportunity arose. So was she still cleaning when you left? No, she'd left. And then she'd gone to clean another room. It was like, let's go. So she never sees our faces and knows it was us sort of, sort of thing. That's the closest I can think to it. Stand there going, I've seen them legs before. <laughs> uh, Anthony, same question. I, I, it wasn't really like a quick exit, but I've got an embarrassment toilet story. Like, 
Go on. If you want, if you want to hear this, I'm sure the listeners will be <laughs> yeah. looking um, forward to it. So I uh, I started like a, a, a new job um, in a pub, and it was a Sunday when I was starting. And Do you want to name the pub? Or no, no protect, I don't. Protect the innocent. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> so I um, I went out the night before. And I arrived at this this job a little bit hungover, a little bit worse for wear, but it was all right. It was fine. It was uh, like a, a job from a mate, so he, he knew what I was kind of like. And, what um, an alcoholic! <laughs> please, no more questions. <laughs> um, so I, I, uh, I obviously needed to go to the toilet, and, and, and you know, I had a bit of a, a dicky tummy, shall we say? And uh, I got in there, and the wet dummy deed, and then I hadn't checked that there was any toilet paper. Yeah. And I was like, oh God. So I had to um, kind of fiddle around and see if I could find any like cardboard, couldn't get that out. So the, it was like one of them toilet roll holders. Just, like, Was there not one of those things that they have in uh, European countries, you know, where you can sort of... A bidet? Yeah, that's yeah. it. I Happy bidet. I, I wish there was. <laughs> I really wish there was. So I had to, um, had to pull my trousers up and go and find some napkins <laughs> from the, uh, from the oh, kitchen and the bar oh, and then go back. Wow. Wasn't uh, wasn't great. Uh, definitely not the best first day I've ever had. Do you still own the underwear from? Absolutely not. No. Burned them. In the first. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you didn't find any cardboard. Yeah. I just Do you know, don't that goes down well. Well, see, I had that same situation in a Starbucks once when I'd gone to meet somebody with work. I was doing a meeting on in the East Lanks Starbucks on the East Lanks, and the same thing happened to me. And I used the cardboard. Worked quite effectively actually. I was quite impressed with myself. Oh. Um, yeah, well, shook hands with everybody in there. After <laughs> All right, Boris. <laughs> I, um, I, I, I defecated myself at a house party once when I was. 15. Jesus, this is a weird start <laughs> to a, a podcast. This, isn't it? I was going to say you asked the question, but I asked the question. <laughs> um, Should we talk about football? Certainly. Anyway, Guy Branston. We're twenty-five episodes in, and this has just descended into nonsense, hasn't it? Mate, look, this we are in the midst of a pandemic. And we are keeping the good listeners, keeping them their spirits high throughout this difficult period. And if I have to demean myself by talking about a time when I defecated all over my own cargo pants at a house party when I was 15, and the person whose house it was who was hosting the party was a girl that I was trying to befriend, shall, oh, so right, to speak, okay. um, then I will do so. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Guy Branston, who's the episode today, Ryan, you were—I think you—you you messaged Guy Branston. You were—you were enthusiastic to set this up. Why did we want to speak to to, to Guy Branston? Yeah, so um, obviously come up against him quite a few times um, down the years when he's played against Tramia, and he was a typical lower league centre half, um, really tough. He was a captain at most places he went to. He had quite an interesting career, which involved, I think, over 13 different moves. So it was somebody that I think has got a lot of experience and, and also with his role he's doing now at Leicester. Quite interesting, really, to, to find out how he uses his experience as a player to now be the loan manager at Leicester and help those younger lads because he started at Leicester and didn't quite make the grade. Um, had some success at Rotherham, as people probably know. And then he's just seemed to bandy around at the level leagues for quite a few years. And just interesting, really, to find out more about his mindset and what he's been through and, and what his thoughts on the game are. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we got some quite a lot of interesting stuff that we weren't expecting for him to talk Definitely. about, um, particularly around sort of suicide and and around those type of difficult topics, which we go into these interviews. I think you were saying it the other day, right, where sometimes we go into these interviews and we know that these things are going to come up. 
um, they're kind of prompted by the discussion, but this was just completely took us by yeah. surprise. So the interview almost went a different way than we were expecting yeah, it to go. I think in a way. we would think. I think we thought we'd just be talking about his career, but we spoke probably just as much about off the pitch than we did on it, um, which I thought was very interesting because it wasn't really like we preempted any of that. It no. just it just naturally happened, and I think we were very grateful to Guy for being so honest because by the sounds of things. It's not something he spoke about much. No. So it was almost, we felt quite privileged that he decided to use our platform to do so. So, yeah, really interesting one. Yeah, absolutely. And every episode we have a theme. And do you want to tell our, uh, our listeners what today's theme is, mate? Yeah, so obviously we've had a bit of a word with the creative department at Man Mark and we've come up with <laughs> the guy behind the tough exterior. Oh, yeah. Uh, obviously, Guy Branson's got this um, reputation of being a bit of a hard man in football. And it was great to you know get behind that and basically see what he's like off the pitch and how he goes about his life and and i haven't listened to it it's just a really really good insight into mm-hmm. how he's how he's gone along in his in his life as well so um you know and we put it out on twitter the other day that we were, we were releasing the episode and everyone's gone mad for it mm-hmm. like there's so many likes so many so many tweets saying oh, i can't wait to listen to this so he's obviously a very he's a very yeah. popular footballer i think He's the type of player that you can imagine. I mean, obviously never played for our club, but you can imagine that if he played for your club, you'd absolutely love him because mm. he was he was you know blood and thunder and all the rest of it. And you know it 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 it, it comes down to a lot of things with with lower league teams. But what they want is someone who will wear the shape with pride yeah, and, and, exactly, and yeah. represent them properly. Yeah. And that's what the type of guy that the, the guy was. So yeah. you can you can see why he's so popular. Um, so that's a little bit, little bit, probably a little bit too much from us, <laughs> I might suggest. Um, but this is, uh, this is Guy Branson's interview. You're listening to Man Marking, and we will see you on the other side. But me and Danny are both uh, Trammy fans, guys. So we, we've seen our team come up against you a few times over the years for various clubs, and it, it's always been quite apparent that you, you're a leader on the pitch. You're quite well respected and a big character. Do you think that's something you, you naturally have, or it's something you you can learn almost from with your coaching head on that now? Um, I think when you're in a in, in an environment of of football and sport especially sport's the big thing sport i think sport gives people so much um i was always involved in sport as a kid um i was always as far back as i can remember um pushed to play sport pushed in the right sort of way i had quite a dominant um stepdad who was you know sport orientated ran sunday sides Ran a ran a, a football club um, as an operations manager sort of thing at the time, a club secretary back then, probably the chairman really deep down, and you know ran all the money, the treasurer, and everything. So, you know, working within that and being around that as a kid was quite influential in, in where I went to. And then he was always pushing me into football. I had a lot of energy, um, and if I'd not found football or sport, I would have ended up in something else. I mean, like I said, I, you know, my, my environment I grew up in. I wouldn't, I wouldn't promote on to people that that's the environment you want to grow up in. But, you know, I met some unbelievable people and still had a very good childhood out of it. So it was, it was an area where I understood a lot of different types of people. So leadership and qualities were already kind of there as I was coming into football, if I'm honest. And, and, and probably from the sort of personality I was already, you know, intrinsically already set up within me. 
Yeah, definitely. And and that certainly came out when you were playing from the from the times I saw you. Just in terms of um when you then get released by Leicester guy, how how did you take that um sort of mentally? Well, I'd already been preparing it, which again the transition was was already already instilled in me that maybe I can get my head around this pretty quick and I was walking into something that wasn't too far of a drop down. I was still in professional football. I was uh, being offered a good contract. Um a little bit more than what I was on at Leicester. It was a longer contract, which was, again, a, a, a good security for me to say, right, you know what, there's an opportunity here now to just get my head down and work incredibly hard and, and see where it takes me. Again, I was working with, now I had an agent who was a good guy at the time. Um, he wanted me to do well. He, he was genuine with everything he did. But, you know, he, he, we we ended up signing a contract with him that gave us, a, a, I think, a a good starting point to transition from one one thing to the next, say trans, transition from Leicester City player to a, a Rotherham player. But I'd already had loads of experience out on loan. I'd met loads of different clubs. I'd already got promotions, you know, and I'm going into a club now that that, or, that were on the, the, I suppose, the pursuit of promotion. I'm playing under Ronnie Moore. What was that like? Well, Ronnie's, um, Ronnie was a character in himself. So he, he kind of liked lads who had a bit about him. Um, he kind of let me play up from time to time because it was good for the club and, and we got on really well I, I thought he was a fantastic guy uh, we had his battles as well he, he trusted me to be honest and upfront with him, I trusted him to be honest and upfront with me and, and, and in the period of time it's it's my fondest memories and, and you know up there, right up there with Martin O'Neill's and, and the top managers I've worked with yeah, he's, he is a really good guy. He, um, obviously managed Tramley for a few years and played for the club. And I ended up playing Saturday League with his, his stepson and he used to sometimes give me a lift of footy training and stuff like that. Oh, I brilliant. Him and he was just, he was as honest out of the game as as you'd expect him to be as well. He was, he was a great guy. Yeah. Um, and it was, there's a lot of big characters at Rotherham at the time, wasn't there? But you were still obviously a, a young man at that stage. Did did you feel yeah, like the older fellas treated you well? You seem to take the leadership on even at a young age. Yeah, I've, I had an older brother. Um, like I said, uh, I, I was quite stand-up for myself as a kid. I was a big unit. I didn't really get pushed about at school. Um, you know, I wasn't I wasn't a bully in any shape or form. I was more of a, a communicator than a fighter. Um, so I, I, I always had that in me to to lead and, and, and to really want to be around more and more people. I don't think um, leaders can survive on their own. And I think that if you're a real good leader, you have more and more support from people that want to follow you. So I got, I seem to have that um, even at a young age and, and I use that in sport and I use that in, in, in walks of life now that I'm in to try and get people to buy into my ideas in a, in a, a safe and, and comfortable environment now because I, you know, I work within boardrooms and work within in um, in offices and, and work with you know all sorts of characters and all sorts of different mentalities now more so than, than just a dressing room. So you have to be versatile and, and adaptable to the society that you're working with and, and the the people that you're with at the time. So yeah, I definitely believe that 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 was important. And when you went to Rotherham, as you've touched on, it ended up being um, a really su successful time, back-to-back -back promotions. I think you started 66 league matches in a season and a half. And 
that was obviously a really positive uh, phase of your career. And then you, you sort of dropped out the, the side a little bit when they when they reached what is now the championship. How, how did you deal with being out the side? Were you somebody who was knocking on the manager's door? Or was you just working harder in training? Yeah, that, that was probably the only time I'd really, really seen how ruthless football could be. So I'd, I'd, I'd scored the goal that got them up against Hartlepool, the last game of the season, well, second game, last game of the season. Um, we got promoted, we came second, I think, to Swansea. And then we got promoted again the following season. We came second again to Reading. Um, um, Alan Pardew's Reading. Um, and then we end up in the Championship. And I got, I mean, I come back pretty fit. Um, Ronnie Moore's pre-seasons were hard. I'm a big fixer, every lad. I did okay in pre-season. I remember having a bit, a bit of a... Uh, a calf strain and, and you know, started back, but I, I got dropped pretty instantly. I think it was like game one or two. Uh, game two, I think it was in the cup. We signed someone literally at the start of the season, and um, it was kind of I was you know wasn't even spoken to, and and I kind of felt let down a lot by Ronan, by Brex, and by the staff because you know after the effort and and you know buying into what they wanted and we'd got back to map promotions and we'd done really well as a group to actually not get any support from them or not actually get spoken to was their style. But, but yeah. that wasn't, you know, that wasn't my style. So I, I struggled with getting my head around why anyone would treat me that way. I took it really personally. I know I shouldn't have, but at the time I did. Um, and and then when you look back and reflect, you can kind of, you know, see where you made the mistakes, but it's a bit different when you're in the situation. Is it something you approached Ronnie with, or did you just sort of? Yeah, of course he did. I, I got no problems approaching him with. You know, I, I had a good, good long chats, but it was again, it was perceived as a, you know, just man up, get on with it, you know, fight for your place, all the stereotypical stuff you'd hear. But like, even when I fought for my place, it was constant that that I weren't in his plans now, and you know, I was very much cover, and I didn't want to be cover, and you know. I I made the decision to sign another contract literally at the start of that season because we'd gone to the championship and you know within the within a couple of weeks of signing the uh, within a couple of months of signing the contract you know I was nowhere to be seen and I'd signed this long contract so I kind of got a bit duped into everything um I was young and naive and and I, I wish I'd had a better help around me at the time and a better support mechanism around me at the time to make better decisions because I just bought my new house the first house, I was only young, you know, I'd already had a, I already had a mortgage around me, I already had bills to pay, I wasn't earning massive money, you know, and, and I was on my own a lot, so, you know, I, I went quite deep into myself um, and learned a lot about myself, actually, if I'm honest, and, and really started to give me a platform to work off to continue to be as, I suppose, as positive as I can in, in a lot of walks of life that I'm in now. Do you think, because of your um, sort of like dominant nature on the pitch, that people didn't recognise that an arm around the shoulder may have been better approach to someone like yourself, almost ignorance towards how they should have treated you. Um, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say ignorance. I'd I'd say in a, in a uh, probably a, a bit naive from themselves. Yeah. Um, it, there just wasn't the training or the support or or the empathy that that a lot of these so-called coaches now have and, and clubs now have and and rightly you know i don't know if it's rightly or wrongly so I, I don't know if it's producing better players or better mental states or you know it's there's definitely an, an opening up of of people these days which is fantastic 
and, you know, but I, I don't, I'm not sure if I actually would have wanted it anyway when I, back then. Yeah. You know, all I wanted to do was get back in the side. I weren't bothered if he was my mate or not. I weren't bothered if he spoke to me, you know, that much. Just do you tell me a reason why I'm not in the side and, and tell me a genuine reason why I'm not in the side. And then if I can work at it and do well, I will. And if I can't, I'll, I'll, I'll move on. And that's what I tried to do with Ronnie. But Ronnie never gave me an answer at the time. He just kind of laughed it off, which probably caused me more annoyance. Yeah. And um, was there anyone in your support network outside of football you would rely on during uh, difficult times? Um, yeah, I, I mean, the lads I'd met on loan who understood football. Um, at the time, I thought I thought my friendship group was was with me because of, of who I was, uh, my person, like me personally, rather than just because I was a footballer. So I was having a few run-ins with my mates over it, and you, you know, like I said, when when things are going badly in your life, you see who you've actually got around you um, and who your friends actually are. Uh, so I started to learn a lot about life in general and what life looked like. But I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't particularly in a, in, in a, uh, a bad state anyway. You know, I was still in the championship. I was fighting for my place. I was, you know, in a really good club that was looking after me um, financially. And also, you know, we were in it. We were in the championship playing against Man City, uh, Fulham's places like that. You know, it was an unbelievable experience for me to, to look back and go, you know what? I genuinely really enjoyed that. But when you're in the moment, you don't you don't really grasp what you're actually doing, uh, especially when you're young. You don't actually you're not actually mindful of what's going on. Yeah, and I suppose as well, momentum in football is a, a huge thing. So, did you see the shift change at the club when obviously you go from winning a lot of games over a two-year period to almost just battling relegation? I imagine the pressure on Ronnie grew as expectation and. And the higher level group as well. Yeah, I kind of felt Ronnie had. Um, I've said this before a couple of times. I kind of felt that he kind of he kind of got carried away with himself. You know, like yeah. we, we went from being a real strong knit community to being a you know a, a kind of separate group. Um, once he started getting a bit more successful, he kind of always been around. You know, the the, the so called League One, League Two lads and. You know, he'd done well for himself now as a coach and now as a manager and, and very much, you know, fair dues to him, pat him on the back and everything. Uh, I really respect that. But we, we, I think as a group, we felt quite tight towards him as well. And and he kind of like, kind of lost his grip a bit, you know, like kind of went through like a bit of a, uh, what looked like a bit of a, a, a himself, a bit of a, a I don't know, a, it's easy to judge on the outside, but like, I, I probably looked at it that he was taking the piss a bit with us as, as a group of lads, and he. I think he. I think when we've, we've met up since and we've had you know good chats and we're still friends, so it's it's a tricky one because you, you, you. I was looking from a totally different eye back then to how I look at it now. You know, everyone has everyone has their own problems, and, and until you actually start to like, I suppose, take down the layers and and, and work out what what the problems are, you. You can only guess at what these people are thinking. And my eyes back then were, were a young lad. You know, I was being dropped. He's a, he's a fucking bastard. I don't like him. And, you know, I was angry, a lot of anger towards him um, because he'd let me down, I felt like. But when I actually look back and reflect now, 
he was having his probably his own problems. He was probably, you know, trying to get his head around how successful he'd been in a quick period of time, which is, brings its own sort of problems with it. And, you know, it, it's sometimes success is hard to grasp, not just being um, unsuccessful, you know, sometimes being able to cope with success, that's the that's what makes the difference between being a top manager and a, and a bottom manager. Yeah, we spoke to quite a lot of people on this podcast and a common theme that comes up is not getting too ahead of yourself when it's going well and not getting too down when it's when it's low times, but I suppose it's easier said than done. When you when you live in the moment, your emotions naturally carry you don't need to whatever direction they're gonna they're gonna send yeah. you in. And uh, even, even with that, that's even that statement for me is like from when people say that and when you're in the moment and it's going well. What's wrong with enjoying it? You know, what's yeah, wrong I with, agree. What's wrong with enjoying it? You know, we, we're so quick to move on to the next thing. We're so quick to, to right, what's next? What's next? What's next? Like, it, it, it just it has a ne- negative um, implications, personally, for me. I, I, you know, don't get me wrong. You, you're not going to sit there and celebrate for four days because you won a game. <laughs> Yeah. You know, but but there's an element of of being happy with the performance and then taking positives from it and moving on in the right direction for the right reasons. But there's also, you know, the same as the negative. You know, what can I learn from this experience? Can I move on from it quickly? Because you know, I'm I'm trying to get to the next stage of my career in a positive light. And I think if you kind of keep it at, 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 at that kind of a dual level and dual tones. I kind of think you, you know you, you end up things end up just passing you by and you ain't really actually comprehending what's just gone on. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. That actually, uh, um, would that sort of be a message that you pass on to the kids uh, you train now at Leicester? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I speak to like I said I speak to all sorts of different characters now because they're all in different parts of of, of their career. They're all in um, different transits of, of where they're going to be going next. So, you know, we've got one who's out of the team, we've got another one who's in the team, we've got another one who's not uh, not scoring enough goals, we've got another one who's scoring goals, and, and they're just examples. But when you're having these discussions with players, you're trying to give them uh, uh, stories or, or, or elements of of your career and also, you know, what it might look like to to uh, him or, or even her, if you're listening in, if the, the lady's listening, but... You're trying to give them stories of what what it might look like to, to help them as much as possible, and it, again, it's as if that these guys want to implement that into their careers to make them better. Some don't. Some don't want to listen. Some do. Some want your time all the time. Some want, some are needed. Some are, some are, some are wanting and hungry and does have that desire. And again, these are examples of different types. But I would be um, if I was a, in their position. I would be tapping into a resource like me. When you your sort of last few years at Rotherham, when you weren't in the team as much, you, you were still obviously. Um, I think you stayed for another two and a half years. Was it the two thousand second half of two thousand three, two thousand four, when you went to Wickham? Did you want to get out earlier than that and and move around, or with buying a house and being settled in the area? Was you just determined to to get back into the team? No, I, I give it a good go. I think. You know, yeah. I, I give it a good go. I think I, there's, there's a time period where you give it a go. Um, you're in the championship. You want to be in the championship. You know, I was one away from the Premier League. I'd played against Leicester. Ronnie Moore was involved in there as much as we had our, the odd clashes. Ronnie Moore was involved in there and I thank him for that. 
again at the time it, it felt a lot worse than it actually was you know again if i had the the insight i do now you know i'd be i'd be still hanging around but you you take the opportunity to to want to play football at the highest level when it's possible um wickham came about peterborough came about you know i had a bit of interest because I'd, I'd always put it in in the reserves you know i, I spat my dummy out from time to time i'm never going to lie but nine times out of ten i put a shift in um and they knew that they they knew they could call upon me if i'm ready if if you know mcintosh got injured or swaz got injured which they didn't not very often anyway and they could call upon me and and i'd give it everything and some some matches i'd come off going I've just played well there. I mean, recently I watched uh, Rotherham versus Man City uh, rerun, um, and they promoted it on the website. So I watched it with the fans, you know, on YouTube, and we chatted about it. And I come away thinking, you know what, I was decent. <laughs> <laughs> because well, you, you must have been to be a part of that side. And, and one yeah, thing I want to say is, your yeah, goal-scoring record was excellent as well. Yeah, but, but when you when you're in it. As much as you're cocky and you're having a laugh and, and you take it, like it's I blink and it's twenty years gone. Like I can't remember all the games I played in because I played in that many games. Like and then I'm watching myself play against Man City and things are coming back to me, flashing back to me, and I'm marking like ten, what five million pound strikers at the time, and I've got them in my pocket. And and five million pounds in in ninety nine two thousand was you know was was a hell of a lot of money. Yeah, but it still it still is today. Like, so to sit there and, and and understand that and and grasp it, you know, I probably didn't give myself. I probably weren't as confident as I should have been. You know, I probably wasn't as 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 I suppose uh, in connected to to it as as much as I thought I was. Even though I, I lived through it and and carved my career out and, and got some good moves out of it and got some good you know, really good opportunities out of it from being who I was and how I was. And maybe if I'd, you know, believed in myself even more, I probably could have got even further. Who knows? It's, you know, it's not a regret. It's just a a, a review sort of thing. You know, I looked, I look back at it sometimes and go, wowzers, you know, I probably deserve to kick off then after a game. Because I remember playing in the championship some games, doing really well, coming off thinking that I've done excellent and then not playing the following week. And not even being spoken to, not even being pulled, not even having a conversation with anybody. And I remember like going, you're not going to speak to me about this. Nah, you're not in the team. Like, what? Like, I've got, I got my match last week. Uh, you know, I, I played, well, yeah, but your so-and-so's back now. Oh, okay, yeah. But like, unless you pulled them and had a conversation, you weren't getting an answer. It's interesting you mentioned that about enjoying it and stuff at the time. Guys, we've had... A few of the the, the, the the sort of ex-pros that we've spoken to have said that same sort of thing about maybe not a, uh, maybe not enjoying it or appreciating it as much at the time. Do you think that's kind of a... Because um, I often wonder, as Ryan said, we're obviously both um, both Tramby fans and you know the last few seasons we've, we've obviously had back-to-back promotions and got back into League One and, and then this season's been a little bit, bit tricky and obviously adjusting to the level and it didn't take an enormous amount all of that positive energy, all of that goodwill that the players and the, the management and the staff have built up over the previous two years to, to almost evaporate and people turn on the club. And and the difficulty I think that I found was having supported the club for over 20 years and we've basically been crap for almost the entirety of to have two or three years where we were, we were actually really successful and 
and that had those those days out at Wembley and those promotions, the things that as football fans and, and I assume as players as well, you that's what you that's what you're there for, that's what it's all about. But for people to turn around after six months of some difficult results and and, and and all of a sudden, you know, get the manager out, he needs to be sacked, the players aren't good enough and and for me I was kinda of just a bit like I don't understand what the point of this is. We've just got promoted back to back. Just let them get on with it. Do you think that's kind of? I often wonder. People just got short memories. I think. Yeah, and, and look, fans are fans are precarious. Um, they're the precarious beasts. Some of them are, you know, it, some of them are set up for, to turn up on a Saturday afternoon and just hammer people. You know, some of the stuff I heard when I was a player was phenomenal. You know. Uh, you know, and some and, and when social media kicked on, you know, two thousand and two, two thousand and three, two thousand probably two thousand and four, wasn't it? Facebook and things like that. You know, you start to read like afterwards and, and start to read but even before social media, like websites, forums were hammering your you know, and like you said, you would have a good performance, but in the eyes of someone else who'd not even watched you, you were a shit, you were a crap, you were this, you were that. And you, you needed to be resilient. You needed to have mental strength. And, and fans need to have mental strength because when you're sitting there watching a team uh, and, and, and and having a good group of lads who have got you back to back promotions, it's, there's always going to be a transition period of, of bringing new lads in, changing bits and bobs, uh, you know, probably changing formation, which is always takes weeks to implement, uh, groups of games to implement, you know, probably 10 games before... A formation can be really a comfortable, um, a comfortable implemented system. Um, so there's loads of loads of ways to look at it. I think fans, fans in general, are unbelievable. You know, I said to you, ninety nine percent. I think we're absolutely fine with me. And the one percent, you know, can can start to breed other people to conform with them. And when things, when you're not winning, and and you go there to watch it, and you've worked hard all week to pay you 20 quid and we'll use that as an example and, and really we'll start to watch the, the game and week in week out you, you've got a right to be frustrated but you've also got to look at it as where where you've come from to get to that situation but it's too short-sighted sometimes from football fans and and the fans that might be shouting and screaming might not have watched every week anyway they're just going there just to let some steam off so it's it's hard to judge from a group of fans who, who's actually genuinely feeling this frustration or or who's actually, you know, really buying into what's going on? Yeah, and it's 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 funny often how um, how how powerful that, that uh, when that when you get that connection between players and club and fans can be, and almost also how detrimental it can be if it if it goes wrong and that relationship and and making sure there's an understanding on both parts that everyone's pulling in the right direction can be can be just as important to success as it can to failure, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I would I would suspect that you know you've made a lot of moves around the country to different places and stuff and and I can imagine that must be really difficult in in terms of that feeling of isolation almost. Yeah, but I, it's like anything. What do you do? Yeah, you know, do you do you shut the curtains and not go out, or do you just open the curtains and go out? And I think yeah, it's 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 one of those, isn't it? You can almost. Um... I'm not I'm not a trained professional and and. I've had times, and, I, and I tell you, like I said to you, I've had times where, I've, you know, I went to Plymouth when I was young, baby, I was a baby, I was seven, 18, you know, three and a half hours away from my house, in a car, 
you know, didn't want to live in the house I was in, in a filthy apartment block run by the football club at the time. The food was crap. Um, you know, what am I doing down here? My girlfriend's moaning, I'm down there. And I'm driving back all the time. I'm not sleeping right. And I'm playing football the weekend and doing well. I'm not sleeping right. I'm not eating right. I lost weight. But like, I, I sometimes, I sit here, I just seem to have this inner, inner strength just to go, right, I've got to dig deep here. Do you think that comes from your... Your upbringing, you said um, you had quite a, uh, I think you said quite a dominant stepdad. I assume you, you know, you were used yeah, to that. Yeah, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't have given me that because he was, he was really negative. You know, it was a, it was, a, you know, he was a dominant uh, stepdad who was quite negative towards me personally. And, you know, very negative in the don't get too excited, you know, and that's why I yeah. said that comment, you know, you know, just make sure you're putting a good performance, you know, don't, don't get too <laughs> ahead of yourself and rah, 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 and I fucking bore off, mate. <laughs> uh, and, and and that's you know that was that was that's his mentality you know he he, he thought he, again he thought he was talking to to men when he was talking to fucking ten year old yeah you, you know, think so, you then you said you're you're obviously described yourself as sort of you know quite uh, you know quite bubbly and you can stand up for yourself and you, you know you'll you'll talk to people and that do you think because you had that type of personality you when you say like you were at Plymouth and it was you know, seventeen, eighteen, and going. You know, that must like it, it. It. I think you can't overestimate like the the changing of. I was driving back. No band. I was driving back. I was training Monday, staying over Monday night, driving back Tuesday night, coming back Wednesday night to stay over for Thursday, and probably drive back Friday night, and then drive down for the game Saturday morning. So how did you kind of? How did you kind of? Deal with that then, that you know, the, the pressures you said you were losing weight and you weren't just, sleeping just, right and that sort of I thing. I just didn't, I just honestly, I just didn't get my head around it. I didn't actually know what was happening back then. It wasn't, you know, labeled. It wasn't, um, I remember going to see the doctor because I lost a lot of weight at the football club at, at Plymouth and he, he just told me to get on with it. He says, make sure you eat your food and get on with it. And was that, what's that, a, a doctor, like the club doctor? Yeah, the club doctor, yeah. I mean, that's incredible. That, that, that's it? what it was. That's that was the mentality of lots of people. You know, you're talking about older generation who've lived through a war. That doctor. Yeah. You know, get on with it. Do you think you're well, almost your 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 um your generation of football? Because we've we spoke to um we spoke to Jamie Curran and to Chris Ulumo, who were sort of around the same sort of sort of ages as, as you, and probably came through in a similar environment. So do you think you're almost caught in that? Football was beginning to change in its approach to those things, but the people that were in those sort of positions were still of that old school mindset. So you were kind of you were you were almost caught between things changing but not having quite changed yet. And and and, and as you said, I can't. It just I can fully fully um, imagine a somebody at a, at a football club having that. You know, you just got to get on with it type attitude. But it's just I rang I rang PFA. Yeah, I rang, I rang the PFA up. Um, what was it? Even later on, you know, um, I'm training on my arm on my own. Um, I've got no support from the club. They want me out. What do you want us to do about it, guy? I said, well, you know, can't you have a word for them? I shouldn't be training on my own. I'm, you know, yeah, but guy, look, look, mate, they want you out of the football club. You know, just just train on your own. 
you know, just just do it. But that ain't really the support I need. I need, you know, mm. I need you to come down and speak to him. Why do I, why do you want me to come speak to him for? It's, it's, and, and you hear stories like it, that and it's just, it's mad. It's because, like, because there's been a lot of talk, I think, in, in recently in, in sort of related to the PFA with, with kind of what they're talking about in terms of their support networks for, for, for mental health and stuff. And I think if you look at the, the PFA kind of as a, as a union, which is, which is in essence what it is. You can, can you? I just couldn't imagine if somebody, you, one of your, your mates, who you would, you know, you were down the pub with them and they were having a really torrid time at work, and they phoned, they phoned the union. The, the union said, "Well, your work doesn't like you, so I don't really know what you want me to do about it." You can't even. Mate, that's that's what mate, you exist for. It was phenomenal, mate. Phenomenal. And and this is where this is where like I, I laugh when I when I when I read some of the stuff that, you know, if if I'd not been resilient, if I'd not had mental strength or they talk about mental strength or I've not been bonkers or whatever you want to call me right I could have got myself in some, some right situations yeah I can well imagine yeah and you know I don't think and I still don't think that there was things in place when I was leaving the game at 2014 you're still fairly recent isn't it yeah so I, I think it's it's become unbelievable now and, and, I, and I'm lucky enough to be at Premier League Football Club. And the support mechanisms that are in place are unbelievable. And I wish I had them now, you know, in my career when I was, when I was in, in the game. But we just didn't. And I think that people can also dwell a bit too much on it. Yeah, possibly. Because look how, you know, look where they are now. They should still be pretty positive. You know, that people are, you know, people are still trying to make positive examples of themselves in society life's life's tough yeah and life is tough i mean look what we're living through now mm -hmm. you know we're, we're not being told a lot of the stuff that's going on and then and then we are being told and we, people still don't believe it and and we're supposed to get on with his normal lives and, and try and support you know whoever you can support and you know, I'm, I'm 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 waiting for, for my i suppose my job to carry on and you know, I'm, I'm in a in a in a situation where I'm you know trying to support people now who, who can't get food and things like that through the charity. But I, I'm that sort. Of, I can't have people not eating, and I can't I can't have people you know not living properly. And, and yeah, even even if you go back to the likes of the Rodney and that, and in the dressing room, like I didn't I didn't particularly feel sorry for him. You know, I genuinely just reached out like I normally do with people who, who are in the room. Yeah, and I think that's that's probably why you were, why you were, um, why you were captain at so many places. I think that's probably lends its personality more than I suspect a lot of people. What they imagine from a captain is that you know the the sort of Terry Butcher banging your chest, screaming type thing. Whereas, I mean, we had. Oh, I could do that. <laughs> oh, I've seen you do that before, guy. <laughs> I did it in a way where I picked and choose who I did that to. Yeah. And I think that's what's one, one of my skill sets is, is, I mean, look, I grew up on, my, my family are market traders. And a lot of my skills are selling skills. Um, and, and part of my selling skills is, you know, talking and building rapport with a customer. And I grew up in, in, in Leicester, which is a multicultural sort of city. 
Yeah, well, it is a city, and, and and you know you have to deal with a lot of different types. We can't even speak the language, so then body language comes into it. You know, um, smiling, basic smiling, you know, handshakes, manners, you know, and and, and all these basic stuff that you learn um, very early on within the market industry. Because you know, I grew up on them. Really, most of my family worked on it. It was a great environment for me to then go into sport and schooling and, and things like that. Yeah, know? those skills are very transferable, aren't they, in terms yeah. of people? and I think that if kids are, uh, you know, this is where I think working early for kids is, is a good, really good thing. Yeah, I agree. Because I think if kids learn to work and provide and adapt to situations, I think in, in, in the right frame, obviously framework now, um, I think the kids will be better equipped for the future. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it, it puts. Um, I think it, it, the, the, if you put people into into um, situations that are outside of their comfort zone when they're young, but they're in, it's done in like a you know in like a safe way. I think that yeah, allows people to learn skills, doesn't it? That are that are applicable later on. As somebody then who was who was obviously known in the game as being a. You know, being a, a leader, and you, you're obviously a, you know, a, a football league centre half. So there's a certain amount of, of toughness that, that comes along with that. Did you ever feel like a, a bit of a pressure to kind of maintain a reputation, and what you know, in the dressing room, at home, or anything like that? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had a, a, a reputation with my mates. I had a reputation, you know, with, with, with whatever I was doing at the time. You know, I, I was. It was called upon on on nights out when we were out. You know, it was it was always uh, you're always living in the shadow of what you look like on a football pitch. Mm. You know, and and it was an, when I was younger, it was it was a well. There's that you know, there's that tough centre half. There's that there's that Brano. There's this. There's that. You know, you know he shouldn't have been a footballer. Blah blah blah. When you was growing up, and he was constantly running into battles as a kid. But it was also a, a, a really you know, again, like an eye-opener, as I got older, you know, I started to see who my friends were, started to see who wanted me to fail or who wanted me to win, who wanted me to do well. And and I was lucky. I was with a, a strong set of lads who were very down-to-earth and still my friends now, you know. Uh, we, we still knock about together. And lads I've knocked about with in football uh, were with me from the start, you know, the, the Rob Scotts, the, the Paul Warns, you know the, the Jim Rodwells, the, the, the Carl Eggs. That they're, they're still very much in my life now because we, we spent some fantastic times together. But we also had genuine uh, affection for each other. You know there was a definite, um, a definite uh, feeling back and, a, and a, a relationship there that, that will help you and you'll help me. I think that's interesting. That because one of the things that have that, that's come up sometimes it, it, it's almost it's been prompted, <laughs> but sometimes it's just come up in conversation is how almost how important friendships can be but almost i think for, for fellas we can underplay that in a way you don't want to you know you can underplay how important your friends are in terms of being able to have somebody there for you for you you know whether it's you know whether it's for emotional support or whether it's just just pick up the phone so you can have a laugh with someone i think it can be underplayed how important those relationships are yeah i um i think one of the biggest things that the you can you can kind of be in a situation with with your mates that you you don't want to show feelings and, and, and um you know I've 
when when I was when I was going through my football career, I've got a friend who, who struggles with you know anxiety, depression, and and uh, bit of a locked in syndrome, if I'm honest. But I mean, it, 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 we, I've worked with him over the years, and, and you know, been a support mechanism for him. And you know, I've I've helped him out and helped him out and helped him out and helped him out. And there's been times where it's been frustrating. Don't get me wrong, you know, but he's my boy, he's my mate, and yeah. I think that a lot of a lot of men. Um, have this persona that, that they can't speak, but you know, my my oh, going. I know we we're an hour or so into this, but my my actual dad killed himself, so it's not a not something I don't talk about. So I'm not sitting there feeling opening up now and feeling comfortable to open up. It's just something that I genuinely have got on with since mm. I've been a kid. So he, he would have needed this, you know, he would have needed this time to probably open up and have this discussion with people, but. I uh, I think you've got to be there for your mates. I think you've got to be there for for men. Um, I think there's got to be more done, um, as it's the biggest killer. Obviously, suicide is the biggest mm-hmm. killer in men. But I also think that you know men need to open up themselves as well. I, I don't think um, they need to feel like they haven't got anywhere to turn. You know, there's always someone that will help you. Um, it's that sort of environment. There's always someone that will support you. And you know it isn't the end. It isn't the, the 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 last chance. There's always someone who can get you out of the hole you're in, and, and there's always a way out. And you know there's there's loads of things that, that have happened to me that people will just go on the, listening to this call. Oh well, he doesn't know what I'm going through. Well, you know I've been bankrupt. And, you know my, my my dad's killed himself. I've gone through lots of different stuff that have put me in this situation, and, and I'm still in a good place. And I think the resilience is learning resilience and learning confidence in who you are as a person is a huge asset. And if you can do that, I think you, you'll progress in life. Yeah. And it sounds like, I think, I mean, a a big thing that you've said there, guy, is almost like, it's almost like being honest with yourself, isn't it? And then allows you to be honest with other people. And, and then when, you know, that cliche, you're the the only person to blame. Yeah. You you know, you're the only person to blame. It's that's, if you can get your head around that, where else are you going to turn? Yeah, it's huge that I think it, 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 it's very liberating. I think when you realise that you know the the, the the it's almost like I was listening to something the other day or a, a, a lecture on on that was on YouTube and they were talking about how if you accept that you can't, you're not going to be able to change the world. And as you say, the world is is difficult. Life is hard, but you can you can adjust how you work your way through it that's the only thing you can affect and, and, and in doing so it should make the world feel less difficult and less intimidating, I suppose. Yeah. But I, I'm, I think we can get bogged down with listening too much mm-hmm. and not actually changing and, and doing something about it. Yeah. Get bogged down by reading about it and, and keeping us in that mind, even that keeping us in that mindset of, you know, trying to get through it, and we can get, we can all kind of get obsessed because we're habitual characters and we're habitual people, and most of our habits that we create in our lives are, are things to keep us safe. You know, we're we're set up to be safe, and I think that you know, like like I said before, in regards to me, I, when I was younger, I probably put myself in too many situations because I didn't show fear and I didn't show um, worry. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't want to worry to beat me, or, or like, like you said, probably a bit borderline anxiety at the time. I didn't yeah. want it to beat me, so I kind of like put my foot on it and kind of push forward. And 
probably made mistakes doing that i probably should have analyzed it and, but again i wasn't in that mindset when i was a kid i was in a in a different sort of mentality then you know i had no fear and i had no real um wanting to anything to to, to beat me or 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 i didn't want to listen to so and so and i didn't want to listen to so and so so it's 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 tough to comment sometimes i don't want to don't want to discard people's uh illnesses and they don't want to be perceived as that either you know i was i'm always willing to help but i i just love people to just try to be more resilient and try to have more um like almost having more faith in themselves isn't it like yeah, that's that's it mate. yeah that's it and um, i think you i think what i think what you've demonstrated really really well there guys that type of thing where you've looked back on what was what could you could look back on negative situations or you know things that you might potentially be bitter about but you look at them in a you think well that was bad but ultimately overall you know like you're saying about your time at rotherham and you think you know at the time i was annoyed with with this and annoyed at that but it was unbelievable it was an amazing time for you and, and and i think you you take the positives out of it and that's you know you learn I've, from the negatives and take the positives to, to encourage you yeah and, I, and i've probably been more but like i've got like especially within this time i i, I found my t certain times within this period of time obviously coronavirus i'm getting quite frustrated i can't work um because i because i've used work as a tool to to get myself out of situations you know money problems i work harder you know i'll get paid more simple you know uh i'll use work to get rid of stress uh i'll get rid of work to forget you know and and, and whatever you way i looked at it my mentality was well you know if it's not going right i'll work harder and and even in it, it, it it's given me uh you know a, a time to actually be quiet a time to actually look at details a time to actually look back and review stuff a time to sit there and watch the game that i played in that i thought you know bloody hell i was i was decent yeah you know and and, and i probably i've only watched that probably twice in 20 odd years you know i played i played 500 games as a player you know i probably played thousands of games as a footballer in in, in the grand scheme of things yeah but to actually go back and go off yeah i did this at peter and i did this at wickham and i did that you know i've there's times when I, I sometimes forget what move went where and what, you know, because I've had that many of them. Yeah. Now, 26 moves across the scheme of the, the, the my career. And I met an awful lot of different types of people, which has been a massive positive for me. You know, a massive positive that I can sit there and say I've met all these different footballers and all these different members of staff and all these different walks of life. And it's given me so many, so many good, good memories and, and so many, so many good i don't know stories to pull out of and, and and share with people for the for the right reasons because I'd, I'd hate to think that i'm i'm i always look to ex-footballers as quite angry and bitter yeah you know or so oh, them professional footballers now are getting paid so much or oh, i never heard that oh you lot of fucking hell you lot of shit compared to what we how we used to play the game <laughs> blah, blah, blah. oh look at I've got to go and work with you lot today. You know, don't work here then if you don't want to be here. Yeah. And it's 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 horses for courses, isn't it, I suppose? It's one of those things where, that, you know, as you say, the footballers nowadays get paid an enormous amount, but the things that the game is different now than what it was they deserve to get 50 years ago. Exactly. It's just, people just a product of environment, aren't they, I suppose? Yeah, they it's deserve not, to get the money. Premier League players deserve to get the money. You get paid what you get paid for. You get paid what you get paid to do. 
you know, I, I, I was a league one you know, I was my predominantly my career was League One. I got paid good money in League One. You know, I was I've getting got, paid and enjoyed good. your career as well as you've said. I, I, think I had, a, I should, I probably, I probably retired. I probably retired at the. Well, I, I say I, I retired at the right time because within the last year of my career, I was thinking, well, you know, I was looking at me watch every five minutes to think this game got to finish soon. <laughs> you know, this I is do that now, guy. I'm only twenty-seven. <laughs> yeah, well, you see, I never even envisioned like feeling like that, and and I took that as I took that as the the, the end of me wanting to play regular. I suppose getting out on your own terms as well as is, is probably a good thing as well. Oh, hey, I'm still running hard, and I can train still, and you know, I, I don't feel negativity towards the game, and I didn't end up lower down, and I ended up at a really good level, and had a fantastic time at Plymouth. And there's loads, you know, you just sit there and you look back and you know, get your little, little tingles at the back of your neck. And, and like I said, like met some good people and, and still in, in dialogue with people. So, yeah, it was it was, it was was crazy. So moving then to the end of your career, Guy, you you did a, had a couple of couple of games as uh, Chesterfield caretaker manager, didn't you, in 2017? How did, um, I mean, Chesterfield at that time were... were as we mentioned before, we went through a very similar thing that Chesterfield went to and getting relegated into the into the non-league with Tramia. What was that kind of like then at, at, at that time? Well, I, I went into the club at, in April. They were basically already relegated. Um, we had Gary Colwell there, a great guy, real nice fella. Um, and, you know, I was, I was asked to do a job of basically putting together a, a, some sort of recruitment package. Um, and I did that. Um, within the summer, it wasn't particularly followed, um, but I supported the manager like I'm supposed to as, as, as within my role. I supported the, the staff, but the staff, um, the board, asked me to do more stuff and looked at different jobs and within the club and seen where it had gone wrong and things like that. So I started to do a bit more digging, seeing the club was in a bit of a, a, a state, but also it just needed a bit of guidance. Um it wasn't a particularly a, a, a big, a big job, um, but it needed guidance. Uh, you know, it needed support. Other staff members. Uh, Gary started to listen as he's nearly going towards getting the sack, and uh, but it was too late. We couldn't do anything about it. Um, again, with me and Gary I kept in contact. I got really well with him. I was kind of put with him rather than him signing me as a as a head of recruitment. Um, Ashley Carson, who was the, the club secretary and, and one of the directors, asked me to come along and work with them. Um, I left the agency game to work with with Ashley, and worked very closely with the club and and and, and made you know made a lot of lot of points that do you know what this isn't right, this isn't right, this isn't right, but it just wasn't being supported in 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 my ideas. So they made some you know really poor signings in my eyes. I wrote about it. I I categorically told them. You know, we're making the, the mistake here and they still went ahead and did it. Um, I made them a lot of money by selling players. And so for the three months, I did something like 38 transactions with the secretary. And um, he asked me near the end when when Gary took got, got basically got moved on to take over. Uh, and, I, and I said, yeah, of course, oh, absolutely. Like, I'll take over for the time being until you get a new manager. And... It was an unbelievable experience. Um, absolutely loved it. Um, the, I got on really well with the lads anyway. Um, 
you know, I was, I went straight in, got them in training in the morning, set out a plan for the next 10, 15 days, got the staff that was there that said they was going to leave because Gary had left, but got them in with me to work with me. And, and you know, for that 10 or 15, I was loving it. You know, I absolutely loved it. And, and we played two games. Um, and, you know, again, got a phone call Wednesday morning. Yeah, the new manager doesn't want you at the football club. I was like, oh, okay. But, you know, I looked, I looked a, a so-called friend in the eye and said, look, if a new manager comes in, am I going to get the sack? And he said, no, you, you're sticking with me. You're sticking with me. So, you know, blatantly lied to and got the sack on the Wednesday after losing 2-1 to Yeovil. And did it, did that, did you want, was being a manager something you, you'd ever thought about? Or was it just, you know, you were there at the time and so you just kind of, you said, yeah, I'll help out almost. I think I think it's an inevitability. I'll be a manager of a football club. I think that's what that's. I think that's where I'm going. You know, I think my my leadership qualities, my management of people and players, my ideas of football. You know, my coaching ability. You know, I think I inevitably I'll have a chance at running a football club again. I just don't want to give up the opportunity of working with Leicester City. You know, it's a, it's a tricky situation. You, you know, I'm, I'm, at, I'm at my club I f care about and feel strongly about and passionate to work every day at. And, you know, I, I don't think I'll give that up lightly. So just to touch on that role then, uh, your loan manager at Leicester uh, for the under-18s and 23s, um, just tell us a little bit about the day-to-day the -day role and what it entails. Well, I will um, organise, prepare and, and uh, deliver back to the sporting director, the members of staff of the 23s, opportunities for lads who can go out on loan. Um, I'll understand the current lads out on loan, what they're up to and where they are at with their loan period. I'll deliver uh, data, um, video clips, analytical clips to the players and staff to understand what they're up to and how they're playing or how they're training. Um, I'll manage the lads um, off the pitch so, you know, I'll coach them and mentor them to hopefully make the loan success. Um, if we've got a new group of lads going out, you know, I'll, I'll inundate them with information to, to support them and, and make sure that we've got all the processes in place to support these lads further down the line uh, whilst they're out on loan. And make sure all the departments within the football clubs um, that we're working with um, are all linked in together to make sure we're being delivered the information. And outside of the, the tactical and physical element of, of the role, is there much emphasis put on, on well-being as well as performance? Yeah, huge. Again, when I say departments, there's probably six or seven departments you can call upon. Uh, sports psychology, obviously welfare, um, health and safety, we know about from, from the, the club's department, understanding where they're living, you know, getting the welfare officer, the player liaison involved. There's loads of different people I, I can I, I chat to before the lads even go out even goes out on loan. You know I want to see a, I want to understand the um, a psychological report of the player because I might not have dealt with him, which would be very unusual if I've not. But I might not have dealt with him before um, on a one to one. Um, so I'll make sure I understand or, or get to chat with the lads. But we, we've got quite an open group with the twenty three. So I go and watch training. I sometimes take training. Um, so I've kind of come across a lot of the lads who I'm now dealing with. I was lucky. I, I was in the building 
in 2008 um, with Harvey Barnes, Hamza Chowdhury, Josh Knight now who's out on loan at Peterborough, uh, Dewsbury Hall who's now on loan at Blackpool. That was my first group I ever coached at Leicester City. So I've already had a, a real good connection with them as kids. And now they've blossomed and, and are in, I suppose, the first team. It's nice to see them on a day-to-day -day basis growing as players. So I'm, I've kind of got the respect to them young lads. Uh, so when I'm speaking to Josh or speaking to Hams or speaking to, to Harvey, there's a lot of respect from the other lads who are in the building as well going, well, how can we get someone so well with them? You know, I need to meet him or I need to chat with him. And, and that's how I built rapport with a lot of these lads, spending a lot of extra time away from the office and actually spending time with them personally. Welcome back to Man Marken. I'm still joined by Anthony Olsen and Ryan Pulford. So we spoke kind of before the interview about some of the things that Guy spoke about and some of the things that we were not expecting him to speak about, mainly the, the suicide elements and then it was something that we just weren't aware of and I would imagine a lot of people listening might not have been aware of. Um, one of the things we spoke about when we were kind of preparing for this episode was the way that people talk about mental health and the way that it's kind of changed over the years. So I'm going to kind of open the floor to you two and Ant, I'm looking over at you first, mate. Do you think that Guy or people of his kind of age or, you know, his demographic, do you think even sort of 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, being able to talk so openly about suicide would be would be possible in that in that kind of medium? Not in sport, I don't think. I don't think in sport it would have been possibly in other, other industries, say entertainment industries or, or other like. But it was something I was thinking about the other day. Obviously, this issue has been around for a lot longer than, than anyone's been talking about it, really. And the the ability now for them to, to come out and, and talk about it is... It, you can't really stress how amazing it is, really. And as tough as it is to, to understand and to listen to, it's going to help so many people. Um, and how that's happened, I'm, I'm not sure whether it's just because, you know, a lot of people are retired and there's been the opportunities to go and talk about their lives and stuff and, you know, that might be it but it's it's definitely you know, it's clearly been a thing. I mean, we looked at, at, at previous footballers like Robin Friday and and footballers in, in yesteryear and it was obviously there. Mm. <laughs> it was just never spoken about because oh, it course. wasn't acceptable to yeah. speak about. Yeah. But obviously, it's become more of a, a, a more accepted thing, and you know, I think a lot of people look at look at it on the negative side of, of this mental health talk, and they go, "Oh, but it's everywhere now, and it's it's but it needs to be everywhere because yeah, because it it's just silence otherwise. It yeah. is literally a silent killer, and it it, it just it, you know as as much as I, you know you can can look at it that way and think, oh, it's just everywhere now. People are trying to make a yeah. little quick bit of money off it or whatever they they're trying to do it's always been there so let's start encouraging people to talk about it more and I think what Guy did in, in that interview was absolutely superb I thought the way he came out and just you know 20 minutes of talking with you guys and he felt so comfortable to go do you know what I'll let you in here I'll talk about it I'll, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll give it's you a credit to him wasn't yeah, it yeah absolutely because you know and it just shows like that, that 20 minutes of talking with someone you know that you've never really met 
it doesn't take much to, to open up to anyone, does no. it? You know, when you especially when you start to gain, you, you kind yeah. of realise that people are, are asking because they're interested. Yeah, absolutely. And they, 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 they want to know that thing. Absolutely, but yeah, the ten, well, ten years ago, I don't think anyone would have really come out, particularly in football. Yeah. I think even five years ago, I think it, yeah. it feels like something that's kind of changed. Not so much overnight, because there'll have been a lot of groundwork that's gone into this for, from a lot of people. Um, but I would imagine it's one of those things that, even if you look back two, three years ago. The environment is very different, and it feels more like a sort of last eighteen months. And I think the guy as well. We spoke about his position as the loan manager at Leicester, mm-hmm. and he's working with the the young players there. So it's important that people of his generation, who are now going to be bringing through the younger generation, that they're able to be open and speaking about these things. Ryan, you were on the interview with you know you and I were doing it that evening. Were you kind of taken aback when he? brought that up obviously it wasn't something we were expecting was was that quite a surprise for you yeah it was massively I think I think I remember messaging you on whatsapp during during the interview to say like wow wasn't wasn't expecting this and mm. it it's it's a strange feeling really because you're obviously sad to hear it but at the same time there's an overwhelming sensation of good for him to share it, mm-hmm. um, so it's 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 one of them situations that almost find it, feel a little bit surreal when when it's happening. Um, it's a good point I think you made about the being a loan manager at Leicester. I, I made some notes earlier, and I was thinking you probably do relax with age, and you do relax once you're removed from the game. I think a little bit you've yeah. got to have that mentality of okay, now I'm a coach, now I'm helping young people. I've got to be open if I'm a closed book. How are these lads going to re- respond to me? And what was interesting I found in the interview um, was that he mentioned how close he gets to the loan players. So he actually used to travel to the games, didn't he? Mm. And um, he'd speak to them before kickoff. He'd speak to them after kickoff. He sometimes gave them a lift, I think. Um, so he's clearly somebody who's got very good uh, personal skills. And I found that during the conversation, he, he found it very easy to communicate and to talk. Yeah. So he's clearly got the ability to to speak and, and to be able to articulate that. But I do feel like it's probably just something that he's never felt he needed to burden anyone with. Yeah, possibly. Um, and I think that's true for men. I think often with men, we have to be asked two times, three times, don't we? Are you okay? Are you sure you're okay? Um, we have to be prompted. And I think people just feel like they don't want to burden anyone else with their own problems, which I think we know women don't have that same sort of emotional feeling to share and they they, they want to share. So it felt good from, from our point of view that he felt comfortable opening up to us. But I also think for himself personally, it probably felt felt like a bit of a weight lifted from his shoulders as well, which is exactly what we're trying to achieve, really. So hopefully people listening who have been through similar uh, situations can take a little bit of strength from it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think something that was really interesting that, that he spoke about was was that thing of being like, he kind of, he didn't bring it up and like, wasn't like, I don't know, he kind of, it just came up. He was just like, look, this is just a thing that happened and I just had to deal with it and, and, and learn how to, to live with it. Mm. The, you know, I'm not embarrassed of it. There's no shame there or anything like that. It's just, this is just a, a, a faction of my life and this is the way I had to deal with it. And it seems to have kind of shaped the way that he's been able to kind of deal with things that have been thrown at him throughout his life. And I'm obviously in our context that for, for his career he was talking about getting dropped from the side or you know falling out with the manager and being able to kind of react to those things and, and keep himself motivated even though he was saying that at times he was you know losing weight and having difficulties and all the rest of it 
Ryan, you look like you uh, you've got a little bit of a, a question to ask. Yeah, I was I was going to say we often talk about football not being the environment to to maybe come forward and speak and be open. But do you think at the same time, if you're somebody like Guy who who's been through what he went through when he was young, that he probably used football positively as like a defence mechanism to to what was maybe not a great situation outside of football. I want to ask you both what you think the powerful nature of football can be like in a positive way because we often focus on it as oh, it's not it's not great for mental health it's not great for people coming forward but equally if you're a young lad who's maybe looking forward to the three four training sessions he's got a week meeting up with his teammates i mean it is powerful isn't it it can oh, massively, work massively yeah. in that what are your thoughts on that well i think we've all spoken i mean we've mentioned on the podcast before that we all played for the same football team years ago many moons ago now um, <laughs> but we all we, we all say quite regularly oh we miss playing we wish we could do it I mean it's it's, it's probably not really feasible these days um, probably, possibly because we can't be bothered driving <laughs> all the way to Stoke or on a Saturday morning to play football but still we the, the memories and stuff that we that we got from them days and the, the things that have come out of that all our sort of friendship groups a lot of them are kind of formed from from those from those football teams so I think it provides that kind of community that you get and obviously the the, the podcast is you know we have a bit of a partnership with with Aaron and, and Time to Tackle and that's what they do with their football therapy and there's one over in Liverpool as well as a, a football therapy group in Liverpool and I feel as though that's a like such a positive thing to be able to be like all right it's difficult to get fellas to talk to each other it's difficult to get them in a position where they feel like they can open up but most blokes, and and this is massive generalisation, but the fellas who are mates with other fellas generally, a lot of the things they have in common will be sport based, and we've used football as the example. If you love playing football, you'll go down there, you'll feel happy, you'll feel comfortable. You'll have them them endorphins from from playing from exercise and stuff, and that might just sort of break down those little bit of barriers that you might have straight up front. So. Yeah, it can be enormously powerful, and I can imagine, especially if you've got that competitive nature of it as well, it gives you that opportunity to kind of, you know, go and do that thing that you're good at, and go and build your self-esteem, and go and and go and excel at something. Especially with someone like Guy, who was clearly someone who was very driven from a young age to be able to go and succeed and wants to play. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I think the phys- the physical aspect of it. But you don't really focus on anything else when you're kicking the ball around there. You, you, you're involved totally in that game. And I know there are times where you, you can get a little bit, I don't really want to be here, I'm not completely focused, but for the majority of the time you are completely immersed in that, in that environment. And I think environment, it's the main thing that will help people to surround themselves by the right people. And I think with football... The physical aspect comes first and then you get this little social element to it. And for Guy, you don't go to that many clubs if you're not a nice guy. <laughs> nice guy, sorry to, to say yeah. that. You don't go if you, you don't get to go to those those places. Yeah, if people you're not, don't want you. Yeah, exactly. And and people don't won't won't take it exactly. It, just, it was kinda of similar to, to Jamie Curtin in a way. Yeah. Their their attitudes to things I think were slightly different. But Jamie Curtin also played for a load of clubs and I would imagine it's because when they turned up they were professional and hard working. They were good around the dressing room. They knew what they were going to get out of them and they were reliable characters. Absolutely. You don't get made captain either. And, and do you think, not, no. because often we've had, we've had this conversation before where you say 
what goes on in football. Who was it who said what goes on in football tends to mirror what's going on in society? I think it was Jordan Broadbent recently, yeah, yeah, wasn't it? We haven't actually released that episode yet. But it's quite true, and what I love about football is you can be from any background and, and still have a decent chance of making it if you've got the ability, essentially. I mean, you look at, like, Alfonso Davis now, who was famously from a war-torn background, wasn't he? he moved to Canada now, now known as, like, the best left-back in the world. We spoke to Paul McVeigh. He grew up in, in Northern Ireland at very, very difficult times, but was fortunate enough to be spotted. The beauty of football is, it's especially in this country, the opportunities are there, and I feel like you've got a lot of people from diverse backgrounds who are all going through different things, but they all want the same thing when they step on that football pitch, mm. and it's very powerful. It's great level, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, it's it's quite funny, isn't it? Because people see Patrick Bamford and they say, "Oh, we could have gone to Harvard," or Frank Lampard, "Oh, he was clever," and you're like, "Yeah, footballers are allowed to be clever." Yeah, but I I just feel like. Um, with Guy, he's somebody that probably people just constantly everywhere he went just assumed he was this big hard fella. Yeah. Because that's what football fans do. We just generalise massively. You see someone on the pitch, you well, go, oh, he's a horrible player. Well, but you that, think, yeah, he's not a horrible person. That's that's because as football fans, you, you are getting to see them for 90 minutes. Yeah. Probably twice a week, yeah. maybe. And yeah. without... I mean, <laughs> Do you speak to many football players? I don't remember having too many conversations with them outside of this. It's it's a weird thing being a fan. You don't get. You the speak whole, to me quite a lot. Don't you? <laughs> <laughs> you don't get the whole um, like experience of like you know knowing them and knowing who they are enough. And for, particularly for lower league football clubs, players move so so regularly. You're not going to yeah, get. They're not in, they're quite yeah, transient. I mean, though. spending ten years in a club. Sanitised sound bites, don't you? Yeah, exactly. Say this. Here's the question you're going to be asked. Yeah tell them why they're happy the fans travelled and then that's yeah, it but. and I suppose in a way that that kind of I mean we're going to do a, a Not For Me Clive which will come out uh, a week on Friday which is about sort of abuse that players get but one of the places where they get abuse is on social media but one of the, the, the good things about social media is in some cases it does give you a bit of a a bit more of an insight into their personality and what have you social media this week has been absolutely fantastic <laughs> in terms of football you've had Eric Dyer going for a for a poo at half well halfway through the game <laughs> and you've had Everton getting that song to, to oh, number yeah, one in the charts yeah. Spirit which, of the Blues which, which has just the been toffees. which has been hilarious so there are obviously the bad sides but the, the good sides when it, when it is good it is really fun yeah absolutely um, I think we'll wrap up there chaps Um if you have been listening, you have been affected by by any of the things that have been spoken about. Obviously, you know suicide can affect. A, you know, we say this a number of times, but it can affect anybody. And if you are listening, it is something that is that is affected. You know, we'll we'll put some uh, some links on the the episode bio to some organisations such as the Samaritans and, and places like that, and Calm and Mind and different places that offer uh, services for for people to speak to. Um, Ryan and thanks for your time today, chaps. Not a problem been an absolute pleasure as usual we do have a little bit of a special episode coming out on friday which will be on our patreon um so keep an eye on our twitter feed for that which is at marking underscore man and what is the hashtag that people should be using where's the talking lads hashtag where's the talking lads come on to our twitter get involved it's a beautiful place it is it is an absolutely beautiful place uh, Ant was uh, uh, on the twitter today uh, 
tweeting about. In fact, no, it was Saturday. He was tweeting about the fantasy football league we got going. I noticed he was third in the table. That's the only reason I tweeted. That is the only reason he logged into the Twitter, and he is purely selfish in his (laughs) his wanton destruction of our Twitter page. Um, But thanks for listening. You've been listening to Man Mark, and we're going to leave you with Guy Branson's quick fire. And we'll see you on Friday on our Patreon, or we will see you on Monday when we'll be speaking with Danny Gray from Warpaint and Darren Eady from Norwich City. Thanks for listening. Um, funniest thing you've ever seen on a coach to a match? Lad getting halfway and chasing sheep. <laughs> he, went we for, name a, name? he went for a wee and then started chasing sheep in and around the, uh, the, the field <laughs> we were at. So he's just running around after the sheep and he's just come back saying, I've warmed up now, Gaffer. Can you play me or something like that? Stupid. <laughs> More people have walked on the moon than have won Takeshi's Castle. Do you think you could win Takeshi's Castle? Takeshi's Castle? Is that the Japanese? Um... <laughs> yeah, it was like a game show back in the... I think it was in the 90s, wasn't it? Yeah, but it's like a bit like Wipeout, isn't it? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, it was It was, it was. was always a bit mad. No one ever seemed to win it. And I remember yeah, seeing this stat once. You end up falling in the water. The and that was it. Yeah. Or something stupid like that. Would you, uh, would you back yourself? No. <laughs> Honest. Yeah, straight, straight honest. <laughs> um, we used to often, we often see like initiation of singing when you join a new club. Uh, you've joined a lot of new clubs, guy, in your time. What did you have a go-to song? Uh, red, red wine. You be for it. A lot of cliches in football, guy. Um, how many times have you been a sub and somebody shouted, "Bring on the Branston"? <laughs> as much, probably as many times as um, he's in the pickle. <laughs> <laughs> We did say a couple of times when we um, when we dropped you a message to ask if you if you'd come on a couple of shouts of our oh, we'll be in a bit of a pickle if he doesn't want to come on with us. So oh, uh, well, like, no, no, no Danny, that, that was you. I, yeah, I, that was I, me. I told you you were better than that. Yeah, you're better than that. That's come on. I, I'm I'm definitely not. Unfortunately, a socks and slides is acceptable. No, quite chavvy, eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I was wearing socks and sliders before as well. Feel bad now. Why, why would you wear sliders in your house? That says your house is dirty. Well, <laughs> you know what it is? I, I, my missus is actually probably an earshot, but it's because she won't let me get in the bed if my feet are a bit, if, if I haven't been walking around with sliders or slippers on. Genuinely. Honestly, it's, 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 it's like a prison in this gap, I'm telling you. So, what's she saying then? Your socks, your socks, so you're wearing socks, you're wearing sliders. Yeah. So, the floor underneath then, she's saying that that's dirty. It's because we've got we, so so. There's four cats in the house. So I think she get rid of the cats. Well, I think she would. I think I, I think that I think this is an ongoing battle, guy. It's an ongoing. Just the battle. doors. Think no, I'm only bantering. I love cats. <laughs> I love cats, and I, I'm, I'm honest with you. I love cats. I, I've got cats, but yeah, I can understand what she's saying now. Fair enough. Fair enough. She hits the nail on the head. Don't get in the bed with cat ears anyway. Yeah, <laughs> it's a uh, yeah. This is a. Uh, I won't go down this rabbit hole because we'll be here all night. It's a, it's yeah, a don't. constant source of uh, disagreement. Get the cats off the bed as well. Don't get any animals on the bed. Oh, no. She's not listening to this one. You, it, can't have, you can't have animals on the bed, mate. That's that's just next level, that. <laughs> um, during your career, Guy, have you ever been scared of a player or a manager? No. <laughs> <laughs> Was there a player that always scored against you? Used to do your head in. No, I don't. I don't. Th- I don't think so. I. I, I kind of. No, I don't think so. If, if they were, they, they played a lot higher than I usually did. 
Um, I, I, listen, you can say a Mill Heske because we grew up together playing, you know, real high level Sunday football, as you say. He went to Leicester, I went to Leicester. I was a year younger than him. Uh, we grew up playing against each other loads of times, but then he went and, and did his thing, and, and I went and done my thing. We ended up matching against each other at Anfield at the FA Cup. You know, he, he constantly, he always scored against me. It was like, it was it was a thing as a kid, it was a thing as a prior, it was, it was annoying. But he was also, <laughs> you know, he was also played for England, scored against a lot of other people. So, you know, he was probably the most targeted sort of character that, that really caused me problems as a kid and also as a as a, um, a pro. Um, and final question, Guy. Meatloaf once said that he'd do anything for love, but he wouldn't do that. What's the craziest thing you've ever done for love? Moved in with my missus after two months. Sounds like a Danny thing to do, that. Yeah, it does, actually. <laughs> <laughs> two months sounds like a long-term relationship at that point. <laughs> no, I'm, I, I, you know, I, I kind of... I lost my mind with my missus. I'm, I'm still with my missus now. And I, you know, I was like, well, I'll, well, I'll move in. <laughs> and she went, she went, what? <laughs> I went, well, look, I'll move in. Just see how, let's see how it gets on. And she went, what? What, what do you mean? And, I, and the next thing I'm in. <laughs> so she, didn't have, she didn't have much choice, but um, we've been together 10 years. So it's not exactly didn't work out. <laughs> We'll have to uh, we'll have to get her and ask her the same question. The <laughs> <laughs> straws were simply not on the agenda, at least not until the visit to Bogeyside Hull City. But nil nil it was at Boothbury Park, a match best remembered for the dismissal of Guy Branston. He got into an altercation with David Brown and stormed off. So pumped up, he was to put his fist straight through the referee's dressing room door which unfortunately had a glass panel in it. Branston was rushed to hospital. His arm a bloody mess. From this Darren Garner free kick. Off it goes, Fortune West on, White, he's there! It's Branston and Rotherham may have nicked it. The last time we saw him City walked off the pitch and it's been sent off that day. Today, Guy Branston may well have won Rotherham United victory. Good ball in from Darren Garner. It looked as though Jason White might get the final touch, but instead it's Guy Branston who scores only his second goal for Rotherham United. His other one was in a defeat.